Hello and welcome to the Tech Disruptors podcast. In this podcast series, we talk with CEOs and management teams about their views on disruption and how it's driving their decision-making and strategy. My name is Mandeep and with me today is Tom Casey, SVP Products and Technology at Splunk. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Mandy. This I'm looking forward to our discussion. Great. So uh, let me start off with uh, you know the most topical news, which is uh, you know the announcement that came last week with uh, Cisco uh, buying Splunk. Uh, maybe you can talk about you know the vision there and uh, how it kind of influences the future of Splunk. Yeah, um, I think uh, that's certainly big news. Uh, in the last week here, and uh, is exciting news from my perspective as well. Um, so I think first it's important to understand Splunk's mission. You know, we're on a mission to unify uh, security and observability and bring the data and insights that people need to run secure operations that are always on uh, into their organizations globally. And um, with Cisco, together now, uh, we have a consistent vision and direction that we want to take things in. We think that the combination of these two industry-leading solutions will give us more comprehensive visibility all the way from the edge through the network in great detail um, and allow us to combine the work that we've both already started around um, AI-powered insights uh, with human in the loop associated with getting the most value out of those things. So from my perspective, I'm really excited about what this does for customers in terms of the ability to gain better visibility end to end across everything they do. I'm really excited for uh, our team members at Splunk as well. I think this is a great fit for us, very complimentary set of technology um, and ultimately helps us uh, speed along the journey of the path we're already on, which is great. Great, and uh, we'll talk about the technology aspects through the course of the conversation. I'm also joined uh, by my colleague Sunil Rajgopal, who covers the DevOps and the observability uh, space here. And uh, you know, uh, Sunil, feel free to chime in. But uh, just to uh, level set here, I mean, Splunk to me was the original, you know, big data company. They really pioneered this concept of indexing around unstructured data. And you guys have come a long way in terms of, you know, developing the product, identifying use cases. I mean, uh, I think there is a metric that cybersecurity is almost uh, half of your uh, revenue, the use cases around cybersecurity. So given this wave around generative AI and, you know, uh, the role that data plays in training these large language models, help us kind of understand how Splunk has evolved from those indexing days and uh, how is it a player in Gen AI now? Yeah, so um, probably a lot there to unpack. So we'll try to take it in chunks. Let's start first with you know how we've evolved. Um, you're absolutely right. When I first started using Splunk as a practitioner myself, uh, you know, over a decade ago, um, I was doing log and event management for a digital native properties and application that we had written and run at a prior job I had. And, uh, uh, you know, it was primarily about visibility. It was application visibility, container visibility, visibility in what was happening on the network and all of those things. And it was a pretty natural transition even then, as many of our customers found along the way to then say, I want that same visibility from a security perspective. And so the ability to pull in data without having to a priori structure that data 
and then search and investigate through that data is critical in a security context. And it's actually really important in um, you know, what we consider a live site or an operations context as well, where you're trying to keep a system up and running and live. And so schema, what we call schema on read, the ability to at read time, shape the data the way you want to not have to go through all that pre-shaping up front and still get to answers is, um, has always been part of our, our history and continues to be one of the core value propositions that we provide. But we have built upon that pretty dramatically. So Splunk has expanded its portfolio with premium security applications now covering uh, SIM, covering SOAR, so the automation and response elements of that, which are critical. We just made announcements at our user conference this summer around the addition of something called Attack Analyzer which lets you view complex threat, threat vectors and understand those attack chains as well. And we've got more in store on our roadmap for security as well. But then a few years ago, we started down a path of taking our built and some acquired products in the observability space and really building a separate observability suite that targets not the security analyst and operations person, but the, the DevOps, the engineering organization and the IT operations teams as well. And that gives us the ability to then do metrics um, at great scale and speed to have uh, traces that are available so you can understand what's happening in the environment uh, when an issue arises. And um, now to do things like real user monitoring and network intelligence as well. So, we, we're really proud of how far we've come in each of those dimensions. And, you know, right now Splunk is set up well as both a leader, if you look at the Gartner Magic Quadrant in security and in observability. And I think we may be the only ones that exist in both of those categories as a single vendor. And, and what we can ultimately do with the data that sits underneath that for organizations so that they have shared context to operate in, that's super exciting. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay, and uh, maybe just, uh, I guess, uh, you know, com uh, kind of level set around the uh, move to cloud or uh, what you guys have done since the inception. I mean, this was uh, a product that really uh, was built on-prem, then you guys uh, started moving to the cloud. And uh, I guess one of the criticisms uh, that we have heard from uh, investors and, you know, industry practitioners is that move to cloud was slow because, uh, you know, on-premise to cloud might Migrations are never easy, and uh, you had new companies come, uh, which were pure play cloud, like Datadog. So help us kind of relate to that uh, migration, where you are with that journey, and uh, how you are positioning the company now with this wave of AI. Great. So let's talk about the cloud piece and then move into AI. Um, the, the cloud journey is one where companies move at their own pace. And Splunk is all about meeting the customer where they are now. We are very committed to um, hybrid and multi-cloud. So we remain committed to our on-premise customers and are updating that code base a couple of times a year for them with new features and functionality. But we also offer cloud-native capabilities uh, for those that want to host in that direction as well. And a complementary set of features and functions we can potentially talk about as well, which are unique when you exist in a... Uh, uh, a hybrid cloud way. The second thing is um, we are um, very much focused on multi-cloud. 
recognizing that uh, large enterprises in particular um, often choose more than one cloud uh, and they may change their choices over a period of time. And so today we offer uh, Splunk Cloud services um, on uh, both Amazon Web Services and GCP. And we just made an announcement this summer that we'll bring our cloud native applications to Azure as well. So we want to offer on all three major CSPs. The mix in our business is um, uh, strongly tilting in the direction of, of cloud uh, hosted, native cloud hosted for those. Um, but we still have customers who bake Splunk into air gap scenarios that they need to run where they never want to host that data in a public cloud infrastructure or where, where they're actually offering cloud services platforms themselves and they want to bake us into their infrastructure in a way where they uh, automate and manage more of that as part of their kind of DevOps uh, runtime as well. So um, quite a commitment around multi-cloud and around hybrid, including uh, maintaining our on-premise asset. Um, now in AI, uh, our commitment around AI and our approach is, it's going to be similar to some, but maybe it's different in a couple of key ways. First, um, we think that the efficacy of the models in AI really matters. And so uh, particularly for detection um, types of activities. And therefore we are very focused on the domain of security and observability, not general purpose generative AI, not general purpose data, data management. It's about security and observability. We are also very focused on keeping the human in the loop. We think AI assists people in making decisions and that that is the best use for it over the next few years. It is not meant to go ahead. We, we don't intend to make it um, just generate net new things for people. We want to detect anomalies that are emergent. We want to help match people to the right run books and SOAR to go take those responses. And we want to use prompt engineering throughout to make sure that users are comfortable making the right choice and adding that human context that is important in the moment. And we think part of the evolution of AI where people will gain greater trust and greater adoption and benefit needs that human in the loop. And then the third thing is really about being open and extensible. So AI is not new. You know that you've talked about this with, with others before. Um, you know, this is a, a space that's been around 20 years. It's, it's a means to an end. And so we will use the right technology, um, uh, large language models, other machine learning techniques, uh, statistical uh, techniques um, as we need to, to present the right options to the user algorithmically. And so in AI specifically in machine learning, you know, we shipped our machine learning toolkit the first time back in 2015, Mendy. So it's not new for us. It's been yeah. downloaded more than 200,000 times. Uh, it's used in advance by some customers in advanced fraud, fraud detection scenarios with Splunk. And in other cases, um, it's used for basic anomaly detection. And what we've been doing is taking use cases that we observe people doing, like anomaly detection, adaptive thresholding for observability, alert denoising. And we've been baking those things into our product as intelligent assistance to go help the users every day so people don't have to write their own. And so we think that openness is critical, not just so people could potentially bring their own custom models or use our assets elsewhere, but also because it gives us a nice channel to allow our customers to drive and discover, and then for us to engage with them on the use cases that are most critical to bring into the product for everyday use. 
Yeah, maybe that actually is a good segue into my IT stack discussion because, uh, you know, every company that we bring on this podcast touches uh, a specific portion of the stack, especially when it comes to, you know, uh, companies that are either data focused or application focused. So when I look at this new AI wave and, you know, the multi-cloud aspect that you just mentioned, what are the technologies uh, or products that you would say are non-discretionary at this point of time? I mean, I, I almost feel like there is a data overload that companies have to deal with because every software they use, every product they use is creating large amounts of data. How can they figure out what is it that's really useful and you know, uh, non-discretionary in terms of usage versus something that uh, you know they can do it later because it's not integral to their uh, environment right now. And I, you just you just hit on what I think is the most critical question we are facing uh, in computing today. Um, actually, more important than maybe AI, though there's a ton of promise there. There's the question of what to do with the digital exhaust in an organization because people don't want to throw anything away. Yeah. Uh, and so, a large portion of my conversations with with customers now is around how they deal with that digital exhaust. How do you tier your data into the classic buckets of the things that you want hot that you want? to transactionally or analytically operate on for your operations in the SOC or the NOC or uh, with your SREs? And how do you keep things around that are uh, adjacent that you might want for investigative purposes? And then finally, how do you keep things around that you need from a compliance perspective as well? Um, or because you know you may need it for subsequent discovery um, if you do have a, you know, a breach or a major incident or something. And people are struggling struggling with that. And um, we think we can help. Our approach to that and the technology um, uh, direction we're taking is, first of all, Splunk is really good at ingesting data at high volume. We're connected to a large number of data sources, many thousands inside of organizations. Second of all, we've reworked and re-architected our pipelines for how you get data in to make them more efficient and combine the best of our traditional agent-based TAs and OTEL connectivity to give people more flexibility when they're writing their own data planes. And then the third thing is we've, we've established edge processing for our customers as well, which comes for free with Splunk now. So you can filter route and redact the edge and, and or rewrite transactions, putting only the events uh, and log data that you want into Splunk and routing the rest of it to let's say Amazon S3 buckets or the Amazon security lake. So that's about getting data in. The data then can be accessed not only through our indexes, but for the last several years, we've been doing federated search Splunk to Splunk. And we just announced at our user conference this summer that we can now do federated search from Splunk to Amazon S3. And this is really important. You may, you'll get richer capabilities on your detections and perhaps faster and more optimized navigation when you use our time series indexes, but that flexibility to go select what's sitting in an Amazon security lake and also um, investigate and search through that or raw S3 buckets, that's really powerful. And I believe what's happening is people are recognizing that they need to store the data, but they just 
They just don't know. The fundamental answer to your question of how do they figure out yeah. what data they need to keep and what they need to throw away? I don't know that they can because yeah. we're working on the projects we have in front of us now in IT and the things we can see that are going ahead, but we have all these risk vectors and other things we might want to do to mine that data in the future. And you don't want to throw away and the cost of storage is pretty cheap. So route the data that temporarily you don't think you need right now somewhere else, yeah. sit on it for the period of time you need to sit on it. And then Splunk will actually help you unlock the latent value in that data if you want to. And you can do it using the exact same SPL syntax and commands that you're used to using, um, which, is, which is really super powerful. Um, and I think this shift towards high volume ingest, better filtering, redacting and routing at the edge, both on your side of the firewall and in the cloud, and then federated access in many ways is um, an unlock for future value um, uh, to the extent that AI is. Yeah, but but I, I guess uh, just to uh, uh, kind of double click on uh, that point, uh, when, when it comes to showing ROI or efficacy of your product, my guess is, you know, if the IT admins or the sophisticated users of your product are able to look through the time series data, that's great that helps enhance their productivity. But how do you justify the ROI or you know, the efficacy of your product to a CIO who is looking for, okay, what did this product or the spend on this project uh, product do for us in, in terms of meeting objectives? And, and maybe if you can uh, hone in on that, that would be great. Sure. And, and I'd love to tackle that in two dimensions. One's around kind of the users and level of sophistication, which we'll come to, but the other is the direct question around, uh, you know, how you measure the ROI. So the measurement of the ROI has to be done according to the priorities and principles of each customer. So we tend to do a, um, a value assessment with the customers early on to understand the dimensions of what they care about, whether they're looking at the number of detections they run, um, risks, mean time to, um, uh, resolution, sort of the classic MTTX sort of work that is done. You take um, somebody like um, uh, Manpower Group is a great example. They, um, for them, uh, not just gaining visibility and reducing mean time to, to detection and resolution, but also the ability to report out and aggregate the activities in the SOC to be able to show the value of all the things that you're preventing from hitting an organization is really important to, uh, you know, IT and to the CISO. They need to, you know, the value is in the stuff you're preventing, not in the stuff that's getting through, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And so manpower, it used to take them, um, you know, up to a month to generate kind of SOC activity reports. And they can literally do that now in a matter of hours so that they can pull out of Splunk visibility into all the threats that were averted, the things that were, uh, the investigations that were run, the issues that were mitigated. They can get that information out in a hurry. And so you, you really need visibility and flexibility in terms of the way you're measuring because the ROI for one company at one stage of maturity is different than the, the measure of the ROI at a different stage of maturity for that company or another. Okay. So um, what we're finding is uh, our customers appreciate that flexibility. We're now sharing with them a maturity journey that they can go on from basic visibility towards more proactive stance in terms of both um, predictive, uh, you know, as well as um, 
um, uh, you know, insight-based investigation and guidance. And I think that that stuff is what people, what's resonating with folks. On the, um, on the AI front and on the user experience front, there are a couple key things there. One, you're right. We have this passionate user community of Splunk users who understand how to search in Splunk, create dashboards and enjoy doing that. Um, we also have many users of our applications who are creating detections, consuming those dashboards, creating sort of run books and responding to those using our premium applications, which create an up leveling. And so both in security and observability, the premium applications that ride on top of our platform kind of give a little bit more transitive closure to those end users, the analysts, the operations personnel to go handle the basic operations. And then we've introduced something we call the Splunk AI Assistant, um, which runs as well, that helps users who maybe don't know the SPL language syntax to use plain English uh, uh, or whatever and going to do their searches. And we'll turn that into SPL. Yeah. That works two ways. It'll also reverse engineer SPL into English to make it more readable and understandable for you and guide you through the documentation and the core concepts for learning. And so one of the, the there are two immediate promises for AI in the security and observability space in my view. Number one is all the things we can do around advanced detection and denoising in the environment. We call those um, those are assistants that people use every day that are just baked into our premium applications and platforms. And then the other are investigative assistance. And for us, the Splunk AI assistant helps with investigation by lowering the barrier for entry or to access more sophisticated functionality. And it's new. We introduced it in uh, July, uh, but we're really excited about early feedback from customers on it. Uh, and one of the things that I keep hearing from, you know, uh, both investors as well as companies that we talk to about uh, data oriented companies is uh, like the amount of data continues to grow. And as companies, they have to offer their customers ways to optimize the use of their products. In fact, Snowflake called that out uh, a couple of times, like how they are helping uh, optimize the usage of their products because they have a, a consumption-based model. Curious, you know, given the similarity in the business models, is, is that something your customers are asking for as well? Because I believe the amount of data will continue to grow at a rapid clip. And uh, given all the emphasis on AI, that, uh, in fact, I, I think that could be an accelerant. So uh, curious uh, if there is an optimization aspect to uh, how you work with your customers as well. Yeah, AI is certainly another reason to keep that data around, not throw stuff away. Um, for sure, um, optimization is something everybody cares about, cost optimization, performance optimization, and efficiency of their people. Um, and so uh, we tackle that in a few different ways. First of all, we should be clear, Splunk offers multiple pricing models. We used to price many years ago just based on ingestion, the volume of data that was coming in. We now price as well on something we call SVCs. So think of those as virtual compute units that allow users who ingest a lot of data, um, but search it infrequently and have other workloads that they, um, you know, which may not be as great a volume of data, but they're searching it a lot. It allows us to capture that value exchange with the customer better and for them to get more predictable pricing around what they do. And we found that our customers that choose SVC-based pricing, 
often as part of their cloud transition, is when the user makes the change or the customer makes the change, we find that um, they can end up being not only happier and more successful and engaged, but we get we get uh, really solid growth and expansion out of that because they have more flexibility uh, in terms of what's spinning the meters, if you will. So that's one way to allow people to optimize this flexibility in pricing models. The second thing we already talked about, which is Splunk Edge Processor, the ability to filter out and redact data at the edge on your side of the firewall is included for free with Splunk. Um, and you can, you can route that off to lower cost storage if you want to for the stuff that you might need, taking advantage of what you already understand in terms of ingesting data through our pipe. We think that's important. And then I think the, um, a third element of this around optimization um, uh, is sort of double-sided, but this is where Splunk really stands out back to that first thing we talked about, schema on read. Um, because we'll, we don't require you to reshape and normalize all the data, you're not necessarily having to invest as much in the data ingestion portion itself and all those pre-activities in order to get time to value out of the data. And time is money, right? Yeah. And so we, we do offer what we call data model acceleration. We have uh, some other things that we're working on to provide acceleration for kind of the repetitive actions around uh, metric computation and dashboarding. But that ability to just get the data in and get somebody to start working with it allows people to operate in that more familiar, you know, scrum type model, if you will, and start to iterate and get value out of their data. And that can be um, a big part of the value exchange for them as well. So I think those three things are important. So flexible pricing model, ability to filter out and redact at the edge, and then that ability to um, kind of iterate and work with the data because we don't require you know, kind of classic ETL type work up front where you're you're shaping and normalizing data completely. Tom, this is Sunil here. It's great to see hey, the excitement uh, in the sector. And I'm wondering if you can perhaps uh, rewind a little bit and expand a bit on how do you define your addressable market uh, example with DevOps, APM, system software, cloud infra management. So, it appears this is too big of a uh, place uh, to evolve. And just wondering, how would you define your addressable market here? Uh, the addressable market's massive. I mean, you've got it right, Sunil. It is a vast majority of the things that you mentioned. We, we play in the security market and the observability market. That observability market includes uh, IT operations, um, as well as uh, application performance management, uh, network intelligence, um, real user monitoring to cover user engagement, et cetera. Um, if you look at, at the um, analyst representations of the market in our own, the observability market is actually larger than the security market, um, uh, but together they are massive. Um, and Splunk is, uh, as I mentioned, a leader in both. And um, you know we're really pleased to have a $4 billion plus business that's uh, growing at a good clip in that space, in both spaces. Great. And maybe perhaps uh, this question could be quite relevant uh, today with the, what is happening in the economy. Certainly, there is a lot of uncertainty right now. How are you thinking about uh, the demand environment among SMBs and large enterprises? And uh, where do you think uh, things will stabilize or we will start to see regrowth? 
And when you say the demand environment, you talk about the general trend around IT spend and 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 broader focus there, or are you talking specifically around uh, security observability? I'm referring to the general IT spend. General IT spend. So um, I wish I had a crystal ball. I'm not sure anybody does in terms of the base of that one. Um, but, but we're pretty optimistic. I think, um, you know, you can't not spend on security. Uh, you have to. Um, and so I think we're seeing people um, uh, provide a good level of scrutiny around um, how they're managing and running their SOC, um, taking a look at the number of different tools that they have environment. And, and this often plays in our favor where people are looking to do some measure of tool consolidation within uh, the environment right now. So we do see that pressure, particularly within uh, the enterprise. And um, personally, I think that makes good sense. I think you want people working in a common tool to make those handoffs cleaner. You certainly want them working on a shared data set in the back end so that you have good context when you're handing off between your security and your operations personnel. So um, we do think those trends in the enterprise in particular uh, play well for us. In terms of um, SMB, you know, that's, a, that's an interesting one. Um, we, don't, we don't focus as much on the kind of core mid-market. That has not been the place that we have, have played as often. The exception to that is, um, you know, by the standard definition of mid-market, um, uh, there are some very large digital native properties that exist in that space. And so um, you can consider a large, many of the larger payment processors um, that are out there to be um, folks that you might categorize in sort of that mid-market space. So uh, we have many of those in our customer list. You also have in the observability space because Splunk Observability Cloud is pretty easy to integrate within your digital native applications. You even have some more traditional mid-market companies like uh, uh, a RAPI, um, R-A-P-P-I, who's a customer of ours that bakes our platform in directly when they were building their application themselves so that they can observe their orders through their full life cycle as well. And so they're doing, you know, eight to 10 million orders monthly. It's not a massive amount, but here at a smaller, lower scale, people are able to consume and gain access because of, you know, cloud available services now for observability and security. So they can, they can bake them in, if you will, these ISVs can bake them into their applications. And so to some extent, that's a down market vehicle or a push for us, which is great. Um, but, uh, really we're much more focused on the enterprise right now. And I think there is a, uh, to use our own world word, we like to say we're focused on resilience. I think there's some resilience in the, the spend around security in particular, um, and, and to a reasonable extent in observability as well. Cause if you can't see it, you can't make sure it's up and running. And if you can't see it, um, you can't secure it. Great. Perhaps uh, there, there is a lot of uh, debate or converse, conversations around where the customer is moving in terms of commit-based model versus consumption-based models. And how do you think uh, this would evolve maybe five to 10 years from now? Will we shift completely towards commit-based or consumption-based model? I don't think we'll shift completely. Um, 
you know, I've been doing uh, enterprise software and services for 30 plus years and, uh, you know, cloud services at uh, a pretty large CSP at scale prior to um, my last couple of gigs, um, focusing more on, uh, you know, mid-market and then now back at the enterprise again here with Splunk. And um, I think that uh, having flexibility in your pricing models matters, having flexibility in the way you contract matters. I think the commit model makes good sense in the enterprise. Nobody wants to get surprised by a bill. And that is one of the things that we have, um, you know, we'll see cause people to pick up the phone and call us. If they get a massive overage charge from a competitor, um, they're pretty unhappy. And, um, you know, we'll hear from people who maybe were starting small and then suddenly have massive overage charges and can't predict what's going to happen because they're in a utility-based pricing model. That doesn't work for a enterprise budget when you've got a long range plan that's three years plus. It just doesn't work. And so you need flexibility there. I think down market, um, uh, historically, uh, you know, people like the uh, consumption based model to start with, but again, um, mid market companies, and in particular, when you move down to small business, they can't afford unpredictable spend either. And so you end up in many situations where you come back to triggering something. And that's why we see, you know, seat licenses in mid market and other things that create, you know, kind of bundled predictability out of the value. Um, and so I come back to this notion of being a provider of choice. That's one of the things that drives us. I think we're going to continue to provide choice and optionality. And I actually think you said five, 10 years. Um, this is maybe one of the few things I would say I can see out five, 10 years. Uh, and I have high confidence that both models will exist. Great. And maybe one last question before I pass the mic back to Mandeep uh, is, in terms of the workloads, particularly uh, referring to the observability space here, what percentage of the workloads uh, do you think are already have already moved to cloud? And where do you think there is a big opportunity from the ongoing shift to cloud? There's a massive opportunity across the board. In terms of what percentage of the workloads around observability have moved to cloud, that's an interesting question. Um, I would say, uh, uh, it's, it's still less than half. You got to think about the workloads in two dimensions. There's where's the telemetry subsystem and kind of observability platform running. Is that running on premise or in the cloud? I think that's decidedly moving to cloud for the vast majority of use cases. And, um, you know, it's very true for digital, digital natives. Um, and it's true, uh, for people trying to get a consolidated view into their on-premise or more fractured assets as well, where they want to use a cloud-based platform. So I think the desire to have that portion of it in the cloud is already past a tipping point and is moving in that direction pretty heavily. Um, in terms of where the actual telemetry is emitted and um, you know the extent to which you need your response, your runbooks and response to be able to take action, I don't know that we're past the halfway point and the tipping point yet, Sunil. I think um, customers move at their own pace and um, there's still a lot of assets running either on premise or, you know, effectively hosted in containers or VMs somewhere that behave like a traditional on-premise app. And I don't think we're past the tipping point in that yet. And, and, um, 
you got to let people prioritize what they want to move when and be flexible enough to move with them. And uh, that's, that's kind of how I think about the world evolving. Hard to put a measure on it. I've never tried to put a percent mix on it. Yeah, uh, And Tom, uh, let me quickly come back to the comment you made around SOX, uh, automating the security operations center. Where do you think uh, this lives in the context of our uh, discussion around cloud versus on-prem? Is the SOC still uh, on-prem or has it moved to cloud? I think the SOC is running, uh, increasingly running um, a set of uh, cloud platform and cloud services. Um, uh, we don't see a lot of objection to that in the market. Uh, and so I think that's a trend that's pretty well accepted right now. Um, yeah, that's, well, that's but then my understanding is you are one of the many vendors that a company, large enterprise, may be using for cybersecurity, for example. So they may be running some firewall as well as you guys and and some other products. Is that how it still is? And that's why cybersecurity, for example, or observability is so fragmented because uh, the companies either consolidated themselves or it's just too hard. Uh, to have one vendor uh, provide all the, uh, I guess, data you need. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some specialization within security, you know, endpoint protection and other things that happen in the environment. There's there's specialization across that entire chain because it's so broad. So I think, Mendy, you're right about that. But what I'm getting at, if you think about where the, where the SOC analyst is living and doing their work, um, I think increasingly they're living in cloud-based applications versus on-premise. Now, if they don't want to, that's fine for us. Our exact same um, SIM and SOAR-based applications run against our on-premise stack as run in the Splunk cloud. So we have the flexibility to live either place with customers, and they can manage assets from on-premise that are cloud-based or on-premise, and from the cloud, they can do the same. They can manage assets that exist in any location. Um, In terms of the tool chain, Right after data data tiering, that conversation we had around that, the other trend and conversation I have in the enterprise very often is around um, people trying to reduce the number of specialty vendors that they have in the environment and recognizing that they want to get the workflow around detection, investigation, and response um, uh, as much as they can normalized um, and reduce kind of the the context switching that people go through and the duplicate ingestion of data that you go through when you use disparate platforms. Okay, let me quickly pivot to uh, what we call here a lightning round or rapid fire questions and you can keep your answers brief. Uh, So what is one technology or trend that you are most excited about over the next two years? I am, I'm excited about AI like everybody else. It's hard not to say that. Okay. Um, I'm also really excited about um, the drive, what that will drive in terms of uh, compute, uh, potential breakthroughs in that space again, because then that helps us around the navigation of large volumes of data for more flexible search type of capability. And I really do believe the future of the world is one in which federated search is a part of the the story here um, for investigations. How will a recession impact your growth rates? And again, you don't have to get into the financials given uh, this announcement, but 
just in general, yeah. the consumption of data or ha any other KPIs that you have in your business, which get impacted. So I, I come back to what I said earlier, which is there is some measure of uh, resilience in spending around security. It's just not a thing you abandon in an organization. And I think if anything, it could, um, uh, it just helps people pick which use cases they're going to go target and go after. We have flexibility in our pricing model, uh, both in Jest-based and uh, SVC-based pricing that allows people to dial that. So I think that gives them the flexibility that they need. And um, while I can't predict the future or the economy, I wish I could, um, I at least feel like we're in a good spot to be resilient to those changes relative to others. Great. And what could go wrong with the assumptions that you're making uh, about your business or for that matter, uh, the observability and the cybersecurity markets where you uh, primarily focus on? I think the biggest, the, the two biggest risks are um, execution. We've got to continue to execute. We've really picked up the pace of innovation, made a lot of announcements so far this year and we've got more to come. Uh, and I feel really good about that. We need to keep executing. Um, and I believe we'll do that. I think the second thing is um, you got to keep talking to customers. And this is very generic, but I just fundamentally believe this, Mandy. Uh, we have a lot still to learn as our customers are trying to navigate kind of this volume of data that's sometimes overwhelming to them about where their relative priorities are. And we have got to make sure that we continue to be super customer driven in everything that we're doing. And I think that's where most businesses get off the rails at any stage is when you stop listening to your customers um, and you think you've got it all figured out. We don't think we've got it all figured out. We care about our customers. We have a strong point of view and a direction we're trying to take them in. And that's a journey we're going to go on with them, meeting them where they are. And lastly, who's your biggest competitor in uh, cybersecurity and also the biggest one in observability? Um, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, you know, who we see most often. Um, I think we're seeing a lot of, um, uh, you know, people looking at some of the bigger CSPs occasionally because they think it's free or near free. Um, what they're discovering very often is that um, if they do a deep RFP or they get started down a project, that it's nothing's free, but it's it might appear cheaper at first if you're only using the data sources from that vendor. But as soon as you start to expand beyond that, the economics start to blow out. Either they don't have the you know 20 years of experience and connectivity that we have into the organizations, um, or um, you know they charge you a lot for those, for those ex, that extra data, that extra connectivity that's off of their platform. And so this comes back to the notion of whether you can afford to be surprised or not. Splunk doesn't surprise you. We've been doing this for 20 years and partnering with the largest enterprises in the world. We have 90% of the fortune 100 that we're proud to call our customers. Um, and, uh, you know, we look at our engagement as a partnership as much as possible in the enterprise. And I think, um, uh, you know, we focus there rather than just trying to sell you some. Great. Uh, Tom, this has been uh, a pleasure uh, having you on this podcast and uh, a wide ranging discussion, I feel, on uh, the state of the market, given, you know, the acquisition news just came last week. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time and having this conversation with us and uh, would love to have you back at some point in the future.
I would love to come back and talk some more. Thank you, Sunil, and thank you to you, Mandeep. I think, um, uh, you know, I couldn't be more excited. Um, I'm excited about the future relative to the potential of Cisco and Splunk together. And I am super focused and very excited about our ability to make a difference around security and observability unification for our customers. So thanks for having me. Great. Thanks a lot.